Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the House of Hinky Built podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, these are going to be hosted on Spotify Greenroom. Uh, today, the agenda will be to review and assess the seasons of the Sixers' uh, three kind of guard guards off the bench uh, in Shake Milton, George Hill, and Tyrese Maxey, uh, assuming we classify Matisse Heibel as his own, own being here. So to join me today uh, will be Dan Olinger of uh, SB Nation of Liberty Ballers. Uh, Dan is one of the best people out there breaking down Sixers film. Uh, just does a great job. Kind of a, I think a rising rising presence in the NBA uh, NBA blogosphere. So we're going to be joined by Dan. Uh, he'll be here shortly, uh, and so we'll talk about those three guys, uh, kind of what we saw from them, you know, going and then kind of what we expect next season, um, how we think they can fit in. Um, so I know last last time when I had Tom West on, we were talking mostly about kind of the the low minute squad, but a little more. A little more relevance to the Sixers' performance this year, maybe even next year uh, with these guys, too. Um, we might get into Matisse type if we have some time as well, um, but we will uh, we'll wait for Dan here. Uh, as always, if you're listening live on Spotify Greenroom, um, feel free to ask any questions, request to come on stage. Uh, and if you're listening as a podcast, um, please, please, please review and subscribe on whichever uh, platform you find your podcast. It means a ton to me. Helps uh, boost uh, my helps boost the podcast up the uh, the charts. Uh, makes give, broadens the listening uh, demographics. So please review and subscribe if you can, uh, if you will. And if you have any feedback about things about things I can do better, about things you'd like to see on the podcast, um, you know, always feel free to email me or, or hit me up on Twitter. Um, always welcome to more more feedback um, and constructive criticism. You know, still kind of hosting a podcast is still kind of a bit of a new new learning experience for me. So. Um, always welcome to uh, to advice. So Daniel is here. We're going to start here. Um, start now. I'm going to sit here twice, but uh, we're going to get going. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing today? Hey, Jackson. Uh, sorry, I was a little late there hopping on. <laughs> no worries. Gave me a little bit of time to do a little, do a little intro. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about you, man? Uh, I am doing well. Uh, I'm excited to talk about some Sixers reserves and I know I told you that we were going to talk about Shake, uh, Milton, George Hill, and Tyrese Maxey. Uh, my mind did omit Matisse Thibel as well. So if you have time and if you're willing to also talk about Matisse, I would love to do that. I, I mean, um, I, like I like there was a good portion of like the year where uh, like at least thirty percent of my Twitter timeline was Matisse. So I'm always ready to talk about him. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, for I mean, I just, for some reason he just escaped my mind. I mean, uh, I mean. Going from bottom to top of the roster here, more or less, in terms of importance and whatnot. So uh, he just he just left me. But uh, so assuming we have four guys here in Shake Milton, George Hill, Tyrese Maxim, and T. Steibel, is there anywhere you'd like to start? I figure kind of the breakdown for anyone listening will kind of approach it similarly to how Tom and I did um, talk about what we saw from them. You know, if they're a free agent, if we if you know none of these guys are free agents, so we're there. But uh, kind of what they can do to maybe solidify a bigger role or solidify the role they had last season. Uh, and then grade their season, assuming it wasn't incomplete. None of these guys had an incomplete. So um, that'll be the kind of the format, more or less. But it'll be pretty loose. Uh, Dan, anywhere you want to start with, with these four guys? Hmm. I'm trying to think who's probably the best one to start with. You know, let's if, if you're cool with it, let's start with Shake Milton. Because I just wanted to point out, I was looking up on Basketball Reference real quick. What Has his like nickname under Basketball Reference always been Protein Shake? Because I think I, I think that was one that started... Going into the 2019-20 season, I believe it was, I want to say it was a media day thing, but I don't recall specifically, but I do remember it was a thing last year. But I, I've never, I've never, I've never looked closely at, at Sheik's nickname uh, portion on, on basketball reference. It's just, it, it like, I get the joke, but I don't feel like it really works. Like, has anyone ever <laughs> called him that ever? Uh, I think it, I think it was scarcely a thing at the start of last season when maybe he added some strength. Uh, in the offseason going from, you know, year one to year two. Maybe or maybe it was a thing when he kind of solidified his role as a scoring guard off the bench midseason in 2019-20. But, uh, but, yeah, it's not one that anyone ever really commonly refers to. I mean, our, I mean he's got his Twitter, it's got his Twitter right there, and it says Sniper Shake. And we got, we got Protein Shake and Sniper Shake, so we got a couple of different uh, ones to work with, apparently. Yeah, Sniper Shake sounds way cooler, just in my opinion. Except protein Shake just feels weird to call someone that. But uh, <laughs> talking about how, I guess, Shake actually played on the court um, – I mean, it's been said a million times, like, it was a very up-and-down year for him, very roller coaster like just mm-hmm. came out, like, on fire to start the season, then he cooled off for a bit, then it surged again, like, I think, um, I wanted to say, uh, what is it, I'm like, oh, I think post-All-Star break, he played pretty well for about a month, and then towards the end of the season, cooled off again, 
And then the playoffs sands like the Hawks game too, which uh, my co-host on the Talking About podcast, who uh, he uh, Sean Kendi, he nicknamed that game the Earth Shake, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, Save for that performance, Shake Milton was kind of disastrous in the playoffs. Uh, not totally his fault. Like I, I think in Game Seven when Docker was put him in like cold at the start of the fourth quarter of Game Seven, like yeah, he wasn't good, but I don't know how you could really expect him to be at that kind of moment just getting put in cold like that. So, uh, yeah, just I'm guessing there's a lot of mixed emotions on Shake for all, like, people covering the Sixers and fans of the team. Yeah, he he really had a weird year when he was so good in December and January, particularly January. Um, averaged 15.5 points, three assists, a couple of rebounds on 60% true shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, was just dynamite inside the arc because his, his three-point ball never quite really got back to the point it was last year. Uh, end of the year, 35%. So, uh, as Mark Zumoff would say, a couple point, a couple of ticks below league average, but um, given his workload, uh, pretty solid numbers. Still a guy who you, you had to kind of respect from there, but um, was just dynamite from that, you know, that, let's say, 6 to 14 foot range. Um, a lot of the time early in the year, teams would put, you know, smaller guards on him, and, and he would just have his way, get into that left side, especially with the leaners, the runners, the the funky foot finishes, you know, he finished either hand around the rim when he had space um, was really, really awesome. And defensively, he was pretty good to start the year. I mean, I remember first game of the season against the Wizards. He, he got to close over Danny Green. Uh, he did a good job of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook kind of holding his own, some post-ups and whatnot. Um, I remember at one point, I, you know, I've been doing these locker room, you know, excuse me, these green room streams um, for about six months now. I remember at one point people were asking like, how good could he be? And I, I thought he had a chance to like be a fringe all-star. That's that's how well he was playing. Like not that season, but maybe in a couple of years. Obviously, that looked uh, very heat of the moment. It, it was a foolish, you know, kind of proclamation for me, most likely. But um, that's a testament to how well he was playing. I mean, he, I think, through the first you know fifteen to twenty games of the year, he was probably their second best player. You know, Tobias found his rhythm a little later. Ben obviously got off to a slow start. Joel was doing his thing, but but Shake was just really really awesome there. Um, so in your in your eyes, what did you think was kind of the difference between when Shake really had it going the first, you know, twenty percent of the year, fifteen percent of the year, versus uh, when he really slowed down and struggled to the point by the end where he was basically a fringe rotation player and, and one that you didn't really want to trust in a playoff setting? Yeah. So to your point about like how good Shake was playing, like them putting him in for Danny Green, I'm pretty sure the four other starters plus Shake in for Danny Green, like. And I'm cleaning the glass in front of me, but I think it finished as the Sixers' like best lineup to play over 100 possessions in the regular <laughs> season, net rating wise. I'm pretty sure it was like an astronomically great net rating, <laughs> but it was like that from a. I think it started at that from like a smaller sample size. So I think I can't remember specifically, but I think there must have been like some game where they went to it and it's just like one of those kind of things like where they go on like a 15 nothing run and just skews everything up like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like I think. The kind of up and down this shake is just like I've said it a lot before, but it's kind of based off of the role he did have to take on. Which, I mean, I don't want to turn this into blame Doc Rivers session, but like when you put an all bench lineup out there, often with just like so you're putting him around like the guys around him are Matisse Thybul, um sometimes I mean early in the season Mike Scott, Dwight Howard, guys like that. Like you know, someone as our friend Mark who is in here in the chat says, like someone has to take the shot, and a lot of times that was Shake. Because mm-hmm. he was really the only one with any off the dribble juice or creation equity, so like you're just going to sometimes fall victim to off the dribble shooting variants. It's the hardest probably thing to do in the sport is just hit those contested shots. It's what makes NBA players so amazing because you watch some of the shots like just that Chris Paul and Devin Booker hit the other night. It's like <laughs> wow, like how do they keep doing that? I I've played mm-hmm. basketball my whole life. I'm like those shots. Like if I was defending someone, I force them to take that shot. I'm like confident like 80 to 90% of the time they probably just missed it and I played great defense, but they can just make it like 50 to 60% of the time. Let's make them some of the best players in the world. And Shake is like being asked in those lineups to try and do that sometimes to create like that. And sometimes when he has it on, like you said, he would look really great. But other times like, because he doesn't have the burst to explode to the rim because he's not like, well, I think he has like, like decent moves with his handle he's definitely not like shifty with it doesn't have like mm-hmm. supreme like the strength like while he has gotten stronger he doesn't like have incredible strength to just move someone off the ball and stuff like that not a horrible passer but not a, I think he's like a pretty good lob passer but not like still a great passer who's picking teams apart if you like take away scoring options from him so 
I just feel like like it's I I do feel like I'm getting sometimes a little too defensive of Shake, and I've gone to the streets a lot. And at some point, you do have to kind of like provide positive value, especially in like the playoff setting where you're struggling. But I do think it just has to be understood that like he's a now third year point guard, which was his probably his first really full season of NBA play, being asked to do for like 15 to 20 minutes at night, at least those 15 to 20 minutes when he's in like an all bench unit or a bench heavy unit, like do the hardest job in basketball, which is just going to be, you're going to be inconsistent unless you're really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think Shake's biggest issue this year was he had a certain play style that worked early in the year, you know, getting to his spots, using his size and his craft, but he wasn't really able to ever adapt because when Shake was really struggling, it looked, it looked painful, you know, like, like sometimes when Joel struggles or Tobias struggles, you know, they're just missing shots at times. But when Shake was really, really struggling to get to to put the ball in the basket, like getting to his spots was tough. He was pressing a lot. He was driving into traffic. Like I, th- I really am curious to see what type of player he comes back next year because I think he's going to have to have a little more adaptability in his approach. I think he'll have to improve his off ball game because that was part of it too. Is he couldn't he couldn't really play off the ball like when Max mm-hmm. had when Maxi. You know, when he and Maxie would share the floor, like he was hesitant to shoot spot up threes, and he, sh- he shouldn't be. Like he's a good shooter; he should let those things fly. Like when George Hill entered the fold, and we'll talk about him too. And and George had his own issues. Um, when when George Hill would play on the ball, like he just like Shake wouldn't make that. You know, when the ball swung around to him, uh, they had so many kind of you know. I think the one of the terms people like to use a lot now was record scratch moments, right? Where an advantage is created and a team negates it. There were so many moments with that bench unit in part, and not, sometimes that was Shake because the ball, he would just wouldn't take those spot up threes. You mentioned the passing, I think. He could definitely stand to be a little more uh, willing with his path. I think sometimes he really kind of lasered on trying to score. And some of that, as you mentioned, is he sometimes was the only guy who really, you know, had an aggressive mindset with that bench, you know, especially when Maxi was out of the rotation. So um, I'm curious to see how, how he comes back there. But he really did, did need to show more flexibility in his approach as a scorer that I don't think he ever got to. I think teams started to realize they could put kind of just bigger wings on him and that would negate some of his size and the strength advantage, allowed him to get to his spots in the mid-range where he really liked to excel early in the season. So um, that's where I'm curious to see how he improves. Because um, obviously, I think he, I think in some respects he was a better player this year. Even if the numbers were down, I think he had a much bigger on-ball workload at times. And as you've mentioned, that's a tough, that's a really tough kind of ask for a guy. Um, but to quantify the numbers you mentioned here, uh, in 104 possessions on clean, per cleaning the glass, uh, the Ben Simmons, Shake Milton, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid lineup uh, had a plus 57.3 net rating, which is the best on the Sixers among any among the like 10 or 12 lineups that had 100 plus possessions this season. So, uh, yes, quite ast- astronomically yes. a wonderful Pl- way to term that. Plus 57.3, like I'm not, I'm no expert. Pl- plus 57 every 100 possessions seems like a pretty good, pretty good unit. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. And I, I, I mean, as as research has shown, uh, those sorts of small samples are subject to quite high variance, as you mentioned. So who knows? It could be an 8-0 run in one game that really kind of boosted them. But uh, point being, that was quite. It's a fun little tidbit there. Um, but I do want to summarize quickly Shake's um, just numbers on the year, maybe before we shift gears a little bit. But uh, he averaged 13.0 points, 2.3 rebounds, 3.1 assists, uh, 1.6 turnovers, 0.6 steals. Shot 45% from the field, 35% from three, 83% from the line for 54.9% true shooting. Uh, I believe true shooting, league average true shooting this year was about 57.1. Uh, for anyone who is uh, still unaware of what true shooting does, it accounts for the fact that three is worth more than two, and so it's a better gauge of scoring efficiency than uh, field goal percentage or even just three-point percentage or even effective field goal percentage. So uh, it accounts for f- free throws, threes, and twos and whatnot. So um, there is Shake. I, uh, so I think the big things for him to clean up next year to really kind of maybe solidify his role would be to improve his willingness as a spot-up shooter, less kind of hesitancy off the catch, um, a little more adaptability in how he gets to his spots in the mid-range, because I do think he's a pretty good self-creator in the mid-range there, uh, and then a little more uh, you know, flexibility as a passer, kind of better balancing passing and driving. Um, what would you like to see from Shake next year that you think could maybe allow him to kind of solidify himself as a, as a key bench guard uh, next year? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of the off-ball stuff, and that's something I don't think I had thought enough about, but it really makes sense. Like, I keep saying that, oh, Shake was asked to do such a hard job, but, you know, like, part of that is on him and that like, well, you, the way he kind of plays and the way he doesn't really engage himself off ball or whether it's not willingness to shoot or not being like some kind of great cutter. or I think you know what I mean there. Like just you're a little less scalable than if you just can't mm-hmm. slot in those like lineups as an off ball wing. Like 
I'm just thinking of guys also on the bench unit, like Matisse Thibault, obviously a very limited offensive player, but you can kind of put Matisse in whatever. He's pretty versatile because he can guard so many guys, obviously. And then offensively, like Matisse is fine being a spot up three point shooter. He's not really a movement shooter, but he will move along, like shake along the, that's shake, shake along the <laughs> three point line to open spots. And like he'll, he'll cut for like dunks and stuff like that. Try like an attack and close out, you know, like he's, he's clearly like a little more, I don't know if adept, depth is the right word, like at knowing what to do then off ball, which just allows him to play with more of guys who are maybe a little better of the ball in their hands, which, I mean, there's a reason Shake was coming off the bench because there's guys like Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and you could probably say Seth Curry too. Uh, not going to talk about Ben Simmons, probably isn't the podcast for that. Um, <laughs> like who are a little more skilled the ball in their hands who deserve more of this reps. And if you're, I don't know if he'll be coming off the bench again next year, but like a guy like Tyrese Maxey is, probably going to be more deserving of on-ball reps than Shake next year. It's not slightly on Shake. It's more of a, a guy we'll talk about here in Maxi who's really great, but just being able to kind of slot in those lines. Like, if he could, like, just – if he could develop the skill, like you're saying, like, coming off of pin-down screens. Like, I know the Sixers ran a lot of floppy this last year, like, and he could be a guy coming off those to shoot those. Like, that would be pretty good. Like, just being able to slot more easily in those lines where giving yourself an easier job by developing those skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all all great points. Um, and I think the point, especially about Maxi, you know, probably handling even even a bigger workload on the ball because Maxi too is a guy who's better on the ball. Um, but I think he his ceiling on the ball is higher than Sheik's next year and was this year, honestly, too. Um, and so it's going to require if Sheik wants to remain a rotation guard for the Sixers, um, whether it's you know in the in the regular season in the playoffs, um, he's going to have to continue to get better off the ball because, like I said, I think and we'll talk about Maxi later on. Um, but I think Maxi is going to be in for an even bigger role than he was last year. Just just given how much he got, he got better this year, and and the fact that he'll have a normal offseason, he's already in the gym. Everyone knows he's such a tireless worker. Um, I think he's really going to be kind of that, probably that lead guy off the bench next year. Um, maybe maybe he starts depending on kind of how the roster shakes out by by next season. Who knows? But um, yeah, I think those are all great points about Shake. Uh, and I'm going to let I'm going to defer to you and kind of balance, balance off you here. How would you grade Shake here? Because I think it's a complicated thing to to go in to kind of talk about. How would you grade it on a kind of an A to A to F scale? See, that's a tough one because I'm trying to think, like, what would I give other Sixers players? Because I'm trying to reference that in terms of shake. Like, there are easy ones, like Joel Embiid's an A+, I think. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. like, trying to work it down from that, like... And it's all relative, right? It's all, you know, like, yeah. like, someone's A+, plus is, is different than Joel's A+, plus, right? So, uh, I, I can lead if you want. I... Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I was thinking about, you know, us talking through this, I did struggle a little bit where I wanted to land on shake. I think, ultimately... I, I give him about a C plus. Um, maybe that's a little too kind to him, but I do think like what, as you mentioned, he was put in a tough tough position at times, uh, and sometimes he did carry the bet. Like he had some really nice stretches early in the year, especially where he carried the offense at times. Um, and, and I think he was put in a tough spot that wasn't his optimal role. But at the same time, I'm really pressed. Decision making down the stretch of the season was pretty poor, um, and so I think C plus is about reasonable because I think you saw the outline of a guy who can be a really key you know, scoring guard off the bench in, in the proper role, but he also has to make some tweaks to his game to, to kind of op- to have that role be optimized for him. So that's where I land. Maybe it's too kind to a guy who was, you know, basically a negative, a severe negative in the playoffs, um, but really did do some nice things throughout the year. And I think you saw the outline of a guy um, who could be really key for the Sixers. Um, and it's still only 24 years old, 24 years old, excuse me. So that's, that's where I land. Maybe I'm being too generous, but um, that's that's kind of how I how I see it, but I don't want to be overly overly kind to a guy who definitely did struggle, uh, especially down the second half of the year and into the playoffs. Yeah, I think what I was thinking, I was thinking either C plus or B minus. Uh, think maybe go B minus just because I believe heavily in positive reinforcement and trying to <laughs> help shake out. Um, just another thought on that, like if <laughs> this, I don't know if it's gonna be a good joke or not, but like if. We're thinking about like their seasons, like player grades, is what bends in the playoffs, like the equivalent of not turning your research paper in at the end of the quarter, like it just drops <laughs> you down a letter grade. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, for sure. I think, I think when I, whenever I get into the the Ben Simmons you know, grading discussion, uh, I think the, the the last half of that Hawkster will factor in quite well. Yes, it's like a final, right? You know, you can you can do yeah. well all year, and then. Uh, if you if you botch the final or, or whatnot, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get docked pretty significantly, and because because it's worth more, and that's just how the playoffs work. So yeah, absolutely, and I think it's much less prevalent with Shake, even though Shake did struggle in the playoffs. But but yeah, I, t- I think that's a, a pretty good analogy or you know, kind of uh, whatnot with, with Ben. But mm. uh, anything you want to touch on with Shake before we maybe shift gears to another one of the 
the bench wing slash guards uh, moving forward? I think I've gotten all I need to get on shake, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Cool. Uh, let's go to George Hill now, um, who I I think will, for me, will receive a much less kind grade than uh, <laughs> than, than Shake Milton, despite my uh, despite the fact that I I like the, the sign you want to, or the acquisition when it happened. But um, do you want to meet? Do you want me to lead this one, or do you want to kind of kick off things with uh, with George Hill first? You tweet a lot about George Hill, man. So you should <laughs> just start get us started here. Yeah, um, so I, I really did like the deal at first. Um, you know, I understood that he hadn't played in a few months, um, but he had he was someone who had size. He could he made he was able to make some passes early in his six or tenure that I don't think anyone else uh, really could uh, who could dribble. Um, I liked the defensive versatility, defensive versatility, which you saw at times throughout the season, especially kind of against Bradley Beal in that first round series. Um, but ultimately, he just never got there with the Sixers. He was so inaggressive. And passive. I know that's kind of been some of his issues throughout his entire career, but uh, just so many times where he could have turned the corner, attack, and close out um, that he never really did. Um, and I think at times he still struggled defensively to kind of assimilate fully to the scheme, whatever it was, miscommunications and stuff. Um, but just, dude, I mean, he, he, he played 16 games in the regular season with the Sixers um, and 12 in the playoffs, averaged about 18 minutes per game in total. Took five shots per game in the regular season and three point six in the in the postseason. Um, shot well from three in the postseason, forty two point one percent. But just they needed more from him. Like that that bench unit needed more. Um, and again, some of this some of this all can, with these bench guys can all tie back to the fact that Doc played too. Like he played bench heavy lineups far too often, or all bench lineups in the regular season. Um, and span, and, you know, sparingly in the postseason as well. Um, but they just needed more from a guy like George Hill who, you know, could have turned the corner. Like when George Hill decided to turn the corner a lot offensively, he get to the rim and finish there because he got some quicks and he's, he's, he's got some strength and he's a, he's a, he's a long guy. He's got six, I think six, four, six, five with a six, 10 wingspan. I want to say mm-hmm. um, when he's you saw that at times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you saw when he turned the corner and he really decided to do so. Um, he could get there, you know, get there pretty well. Um, uh, kind of, I think among, among all among all Sixers guards, I think only Maxi was a guy who could really get there with more with more ease when he kind of decided to. So um, just the passivity made it really really tough for him. And and he talked at times about kind of still trying to figure his way back. You know, after a three month layoff, that's tough. Um, and so I think that was one of the issues. You know, if you're going to talk about kind of Daryl Morey's first year, that was one of his missteps is kind of making that your key acquisition of the trade deadline as a guy who hadn't played in three months um, and whatnot. So. Uh, George definitely struggled. I'm still optimistic about him because I do think he is a really nice player. And I think with the full off season, to maybe kind of figure out the playbook and get back into rhythm. I think he'll look a lot better. Um, but you know, when we look at it just from a, a single year perspective, he definitely struggled. And I think he was severely underwhelming, uh, compared to what some of the flashes we saw and who he's been a prior stops in his career. Yeah. It's, it was almost like Georgia was playing like he was on the teams he was previously on in the Cavs and the Bucks where, yeah, George, you're okay to just spot up in the corner because you have LeBron and Giannis on your team creating <laughs> at the top of the key. Like, they really just need four guys spread out at the moment, and, you know, they're going to draw so much attention, they'll spread it out to you. And obviously the Sixers have, in a different form in that, Joel Embiid, like, you know, just teams, like, whenever you enter a team in the post, there's almost always a double coming. You can get swing-swing sequences around the perimeter to get it to him, but just the Sixers as a team with a little less, like, like you're saying, like, that advantage creation, just even if George Hill's not particularly, like, just some kind of dominant advantage creator, he can beat a guy off the dribble. He can, like, pull up for short mid-rangers and stuff that does have value. Like, some of that other stuff probably, like, you know, honestly, the more I think about it, the Sixers probably needed Shake Milton to play more like like George Hill did and George Hill to play more <laughs> like Shake Milton did, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, you know, ab- he, absolutely. I think yeah. that totally makes sense. Yeah, just, like, George, you're a pretty good shooter. Like, you trust that generally defensively. Like, I don't know how to say about him defensively because I had some really good moments. And then, like, I, I don't know how much I can judge him in the Hawks series where a lot of the times I saw him guard, guarding Danilo Gallinari, which, I mean, like, he's 6'10", like, short of, like... <laughs> he, I mean, it's again, it's the problem with, like, the Sixers bench all year. It's, like, Dwight Howard and four guys 6'5 and under. Like, the mm-hmm. other team has a 6'10 stretch forward and Gallo who they can sub in, he's going to destroy you. And that's exactly what happened. So, mm-hmm. I, like, defensively, like, George, like, he's fine against like-sized guys. He just can't guard 6'10", like, shooters like Gallo. So that's that's fair. But, uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you offensively. They could have just used a little bit more for him. Uh, ultimately, I I was kind of fine for you. I, it's probably just like the person with me wanting the Sixers to win was just more frustrated with other things. I didn't pay as much attention to George's shortcomings. I kind of felt like, eh, he's not killing them out there, even if he wasn't particularly helping probably as much as they needed. So I, I might, like, I, I wasn't too upset about it, but, yeah, I definitely get what you're saying about, like, they just needed him to try and get downhill a little bit more, try try and look for his shot more. Like, he should not be getting outshot three-point attempt-wise by Matisse Thibel in the Hawks series. Yeah, I, I think I think the analogy or that comparison you made where they needed him to play more like Shake and Shake to play more like George Hill is a great one, honestly. Like, like George, you know, had, had he had some times where he would pass up threes and that was pretty mad at him, but he did have a lot of times where he was pretty willing to let it fly when the ball swung around to him. Um, but, but yeah, so, I, I mean... The way, I mean, I think it's really tough. I mean, it's always really tough to evaluate players because you're never going to have a holistic picture of what's going on. And so I think maybe maybe I, I had an idea of who George Hill was, what I saw from him early in the year with the Thunder, and then what I saw from him at previous stops. Uh, and I didn't factor in enough the fact, you know, the, the account that uh, he, he was coming off surgery and a three-month layoff and whatnot. And maybe that maybe, so maybe that's why he just, maybe I shouldn't have expected to see the same George Hill um, because circumstances were, were different. But uh, yeah, so I was disappointed, but again, I do remain pretty optimistic about him. Um, you know, I know his deal isn't fully guaranteed until I want to say sometime in August or, or September. I don't know the exact deadline, but he's got one year left for about ten million if it gets fully guaranteed. And so um, I think you know, I think if they do decide to keep him, like I would be surprised if he's a guy that they 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 fully guarantee and then he, because he does make so much money that they put him in a trade to try and improve. Um, that's not to say that he's just reduced salary filler. I never want to reduce any player to that sort of thing. Um, but if he does stay around, I do think he's going to look a lot better. And I do think he'll be really valuable to them, especially if Maxi takes a step forward. Like I, I love hypothetically the fit of Maxi and Hill off the bench. Uh, I think it works a ton. Like you have George Hill, the guy who can get to the mid range, get to the spot up three, um, do his thing. You have the really uber aggressive guy downhill, um, get into the rim, kind of collapse in defense, especially if Maxi takes a step forward with his passing. I think that would be a really, really awesome complimentary duo. And, and Hill can make some pat like Hill. George did make some really awesome passes here, like attacking closeouts, attacking pick and rolls um, that, again, not a lot of players in the Sixers could. So um, my kind of stance is that I, I think he underwhelmed fairly significantly for me in his, his half year, but I, but I remain encouraged about what he can bring to them next year, uh, especially if, if Mackie takes a four, which I think we all expect because that's the kind of player he's shown to be so far. Um, but for me... If there's anything you want to add, by all means, do so. I'm going to maybe give a grade otherwise. But um, is there anything you want to add about George before we maybe put a bow on his, his Sixers half season? Yeah, um, I would probably just go straight to the grade, too, because I don't know if I have much more to add. Um, probably right around where Shake was, too, for me, like a C-plus about. Like, sure, I was not really that mad at him at any point of the season. Uh, but, yeah, it's probably hoping for a little bit more. Yeah, I'm going to be a little more harsh and go in the C- minus to D range, honestly. Um, I just expected more. Like, I just, like, the, the lack of offensive aggression was so was so hindering to what the Sixers tried to do at times offensively. And, and, again, that's maybe not his fault. Maybe that's a product of circumstance, and so I'm being too harsh. Um, but I expected more, like, because, especially because of the flashes. Like, he had, like, I didn't get a great game early in his tenure with against the, against the Warriors that game they lost when Ben was out. Um, I think he played pretty well, if I recall, was one of the reasons they got back into that game in the fourth quarter. Um, so let's see. Yeah, he, oh, just kidding. No, he, he was one of five for two points. Um, right. it, was the, it was the Phoenix game, excuse me, when he was four or five for 11 points. And then he get the step back three with ridiculous ankle flexibility that you yes. tweeted out. Um, so that was the game. So I was close. Um, and so I just, like, I, that was his second game as a sixer, and that was one of his best ones. Like, I just expect, expected more. Um, and so, again, maybe I'm being too harsh, but... Um, I just thought, I just thought, I, I just, I just thought I would have gotten more. From, they would have gotten more from him. So I'll go C minus. Won't be too harsh, but um, I thought he could have could have played better. But again, I understand that I don't have the full picture. I don't know exactly how much the thumb injury and lack of rhythm was hindering him. So um, that's where I'll go. But I, but I, it's not by any means a firm stance. But I'll go with a C minus there. Um, we have two guys left. I think I want to touch on here. Um, the two youngsters, Matisse Thybul and Tyrese Maxey, um, both of whom I think will receive quite good grades for the most part, but. Um, and we'll, folk, we'll be pretty pleasant about them. Is there anywhere you'd like to go first before we wrap up with a different guy? Um, so basically, where would you like to have this uh, this stream conclude? Would you like to conclude with Matisse or Maxi, both of whom I think will be be quite enjoyable to discuss as, a, as our final guy today? 
Let's start with Matisse because I think Maxi is probably like the. I mean, I think Maxi is the one we're going to be the most positive about because I think we both really love him. Not to say we don't like <laughs> Matisse, we both like Matisse a lot too. But just Maxi is the man of the people. He'll be the crown jewel <laughs> of the pod. Yeah, he's already he's already a fan favorite. I talked about B-Ball Paul last week, but it's 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 remarkable how quickly two rookies became two of the four most beloved guys on the team. Uh, one of which you know didn't even really play rotation minutes all this year. But uh, let's start with Matisse. Do you want to kick this one off as I as I opened uh, about the George Hills segment last time? Yeah. So like, I mean, everyone knows what the name of the game is. Matisse. He's like he's just a stock monster on defense. The just how quick he is, how agile he is on his feet, the fact that, like, he's almost created a new way of screen navigation unique to himself, where he's just, like, you know, d- jumping. I think about it like if a guy was trying to deny someone in the post, I know Scotty Pippen, I think I've when I've seen him before in, like, old games, like, used to do this, where he jumped to the side, then jumped in front of someone on the pass to try and steal it. <laughs> on the ball screen, Matisse, like, jumps up back behind the screen, then, mm-hmm. like, jumps around over it, and it's just... I mean, it's really impressive every time when he does get it, just how we can, like, ruin some kind of guard's shot. Or, like, not even, even if he doesn't always get the shot on the block, he, like, some guards will take really bad floaters because they think they have a clean look, and then Matisse is just in their rear view, like, contesting them. It's really impressive. Now, of course, you could de- debate, like, I think it's something we saw in the playoffs, especially against the Hawks, is that, yeah, Matisse's, like, whole defensive uniqueness and greatness, like, it works really well against, like, lower level to, like, around league average guards. Like, you can really just dominate them and put, like, a huge impact on the game. Against the best players, like, someone like Trey Young, who can maybe, like, who knows how to get him off the screens, is really good at, you know, drifting for fouls. Like, as frustrating as it can be, Trey is really good at that. And just, like, being able to create the advantage, not being as bothered by rear contest, being able to get more separation when Matisse does disconnect from him, trying to do like his whole jump back in front and get a block, get a steal kind of thing. That can be a little of a problem. And if, like, I mean, we do have to talk about his fouls in game five and game seven on three pointers. The one by Trey when he went to the cross crossover, step back, and then shot fate, got Matisse in the air, drew a foul. And the Kevin mm-hmm. Herter one in game seven that almost sealed things where he was coming off the one screen and Matisse just. He went for a block that he did not need to go for and hit him in the head. Like, there's nothing else to say. It was really bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think the – so I think the way you mentioned the uniqueness is really cool. Uh, I didn't think we'd get a Scotty Pippen uh, reference here with regard to Matisse Thibel. Not that you're paralleling <laughs> them, of course, but uh, always love that. Always welcome some Scotty Pippen references. He was he was awesome in his heyday. Um, but – yeah, so the, the way I, I view Matisse's year is he took a huge step forward as an all-ball defender. Um, I, I thought, like, and he's talked about this last year, he felt like he was almost kind of a, a change-of-pace guy. Like, you know, when they needed someone to get a stop, they would throw Matisse on him. Uh, and this year, I think Doc entrusted him to guard some of the best guys a lot more. Um, there were times still, you know, probably earlier in the year where he would be kind of that change-of-pace guy. But um, there are a lot of times where he comes in and he just immediately assumes the top, top guy. Um, obviously, he had ridiculous, ridiculous stock numbers this year in the regular season. Um, I'm going to pull them up here quickly. Um, so he played, he averaged 20 minutes per game on the dot. He averaged 1.6 steals and 1.1 blocks in those 20 minutes. Per 36 minutes, that comes out to be 2.9 steals, 2.0 blocks. So that is 4.9 stocks per 36 minutes. Um, pretty ridiculous numbers there. Um, I think at one point he might have been above five uh, on the year. Um, last year's at yeah. 3.9, and so that means 3.9 is pretty ridiculous anyway, too. Yeah, five stocks is like Hakeem Olajuwon range. To reference <laughs> another 90s guy, which, uh, I mean, you can make a crazy case of Hakeem as one of the greatest defenders to ever live, which obviously not saying Matisse is that, but, like, holy crap, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and just such such a procl- proclivity for playmaking, such great instincts. I thought the thing he did better in the regular season that he struggled a little bit with in, in the – postseason compared you know year one to two um so let me rephrase that to back up a little to make it clear i thought in the regular season compared to his rookie year in the regular season he did a much better job of being disciplined um in terms of kind of when he would pick and choose his spots to you know get a, get a steal get a block things like that um so that was really impressive like i think he was fully deserving of his all defensive spot i think he was second team this year um despite only playing 20 minutes a game i think he was that impactful and special as a regular season defender um in the postseason, I think he struggled a little more, and he talked about that after the 
wizard series that he needs to learn to be even more disciplined when he had games against Bradley Beal. Um, obviously, you know, took the tray on assignment at times in round two, um, which is, I mean, that, that's, that's a great learning experience, like two great learning experiences, two of the best, you know, perimeter creators in, in the, in the NBA. Um, and so, yeah, as you mentioned, two of the key plays were after improved discipline were the, you know, the, the Trey Young, Kevin Herter fouls two two key plays that um, I think, I think the Trey Young one in game five was when the Hawks finally took the lead. And then in game seven, it was kind of put the Hawks, you know, into the firm driver's seat, even though they controlled most of the second half of that game, um, the Sixers still in it. So um, that's the big thing. I, I think, you know, he, defensively in the regular season, he became one of the you know, 10 best, I think, regular season defenders, one of the five best perimeter defenders, honestly, um, just was incredibly impactful. Um, I want to say he was second in defensive EPM this year. And defensive metrics, you know, still have to take with a grain of salt because it's so hard to quantify defense. But yeah, end of the year, second behind Rudy Gobert in defensive EPM. Um, if you want to go check out defensive EPM, you can find that at dunksandthrees.com. Taylor Snar is a whole methodology explainer uh, on his page there. So uh, pretty clear about that stuff. So uh, just a really, really awesome year defensive in the regular season for, for Matisse. Pretty good in, in the postseason, but definitely learned that he still has to take another step forward um, with his uh, discipline, which is just normal. I mean, he just is a guy who plays so much off of instinct and, you know, making plays and getting the passing lanes and, and getting blocks and whatnot and letting things happen or creating things. So, um, but offensively, what did you make of Matisse this year? Because I do have some pretty nuanced thoughts about that, but I want to defer to you before I go on my, uh, kind of, kind of give my thoughts on that. Just if, if you're okay with it, right before I go to the offense, uh, Jack Michael puts something interesting in the chat. David Robinson had the highest like stock season ever at 6.8, which I just looked up. 1992, 4.5 <laughs> blocks per game, 2.3 assists per game, which is like, good, my word, that is, that is so much defensive creation. So, uh, so that's a third NBA 90s player we've referenced on the pod, but um, I guess I brought it up specifically. But uh, back to Matisse, yeah, offensively, he was definitely like um, – like I think it was a more of a struggle like during the like the middle portions of the regular season, especially early on. And while he still didn't shoot well from three this year, I think just around thirty percent. I like it feels like kind of anecdotal and it really is, but like I did like that he was de- he's definitely willing to shoot and in the playoffs he like he made some big threes for the Sixers when they needed them because again, willing to shoot, his shot is not broken, he can still make it from time to time. It's not really versatile in any sense, but he he at least like He'll just like when he's open, he can take it, and he will occasionally make it, which just does make sure the defense does not ignore him, and then occasionally can attack a closeout, decent like cutting to the rim. And I think like one of Matisse's underrated traits is a very good in-game dunker because Matisse <laughs> is like you see how athletic he is. Like he's really he's really light off the ground, which helps him defensively yeah. too. But it also is a dunker for sure. Yes, yeah, such long arms, such such like quick burst off the ground, and. I mean, the passing is one thing I keep really wondering about because Matisse alters, I say this all the time, but he alters between, like, not being a good passer at all and, like, passing brilliance, like, at random, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. really weird. The, mo- the most famous example for me being when he missed an open post entry to Dwight Howard. Like, he was wide open. I don't even think it was a post entry. Like, Dwight rolled down the lane, like, with no one near him, and Matisse just completely missed it. But then when he dribbled to the corner, he did a backspin post entry to whip it around the defender and got it for a layup. Yes, yes, I remember that play. He did that. Like, he, or, like, he'll sometimes he'll have a perfect dump off to a guy running in, for a, in from the dunker spot and get them an easy bug. Other times he, like, telegraphs it and throws it right to the defense. He can have some decent kickouts, and other times, like, just doesn't see them at all. Like, I don't know really what to make of that, but I would say that just I see enough in him offensively that I think it's going to be fine. And if he can just – again, if you're just hoping to get – like he keeps like being willing to shoot, uh, I want to see how many threes he attempted per 100. I don't know, about 5.3 per 100, which, I mean, for a guy in low usage as him and kind of the role he served, I think that's okay. Um, if he can just keep being willing to shoot from three and get like his percentages like just up to like – 34% I would say would probably be a good a good spot like I, I'm generally like I'm I was pleased with some of the things you did on offense this year yeah so I think I'll have to reach a much higher threshold um for the three point for people to really guard him um because he still is hesitant at times but the things I was optimistic about is I thought he improved as a cutter and mm-hmm. uh, just a, a closeout attacker this year I think those are really places he improved now it's hard to get people it's hard to attack closeouts if people aren't going to guard you from there um, I thought he also was better kind of filling the lanes in transition. Like I think he had some really nice plays as a, as a finisher with, with Ben Simmons on the break there. 
Um, and in the playoffs, I thought he was even more decisive. Like, I think Matisse's biggest issue, honestly, offensively, you know, obviously the jumper is an issue. Like, he shot 30% from three this year in the regular season, 32% in the playoffs. Um, but I think a lack of kind of decisiveness has often been his issue, um, which is it was something a lot of role players struggle with. But I think he improved that a lot, honestly, in the playoffs. Like, I thought he was he was quick to shoot threes. He was quick to attack closeouts. If there was an open open cut along the baseline, he made it, like, he only, I mean, he only took 18 shots, only 18 twos this year, or in the playoffs, excuse me. Um, but he was 14 of 18. Like he shot 78% on twos this year in the playoffs, which gave him a 58% true shooting um, compared to the regular season when he uh, when he shot 59%, but he only had a true shooting of 50.8. Um, and so I, I thought, like he was, I thought even though he struggled defensively more in the playoffs, um, which is where most of his impact is, is derived, of course. Like you would like him to be better there. I thought he was definitely better in the playoffs because of decisiveness and the ability to finish plays um, offensively than he was offensive in the regular season. If that, if that checks out, um, like I was impressed, like I was really impressed with that. So he'll have to definitely take us up forward. Like, I think he's going to have to get to that 36 to 38 rate, percent range because he, because as he mentioned, he isn't really a off movement guy. He's, he's basically a spot up guy, particularly from the corner for the most part. Um, if I recall, I want to look at the shot profile quickly. Um, I don't want to say things incorrectly, but yeah, about 40, uh, 43% of his shots from the corners this year. And only shot 24% from the corners this year in the regular season from mm. three. So uh, going to have to really improve that. If about half your threes are going to come from the put, from the corners, going to have to be about 24% there, uh, which I think he will. I mean, he was 41% as a rookie. So uh, just kind of some natural year-to-year variance is what happens. Um, but yeah, so the biggest thing will be you know improving the jumper, um, just getting to a higher threshold. As you mentioned, it's not broken, but I probably would like to see him, you know, kind of uh, – I think he, he kind of has a, a significant amount of elbow flare with his right hand. I'd like to see that kind of uh, streamline, streamline a little bit. Um, it will be his first full offseason. Uh, you know, I mean, he had one – he had one kind of part of a normal year, and then obviously the, the season was truncated, uh, and then he had a, a really abbreviated offseason. So with the full season to kind of – full offseason to maybe correct some things, maybe he kind of can figure out the jumper a little more, but – um, I did like the decisiveness he played with in the in the playoffs and the in the way he improved attacking closeouts and as a cutter um, throughout the entire season, both the playoffs and, and the regular season. There, so um, what would you what would you grade Matisse's year? Um, if, unless you want to add anything else about him uh, before we move on to our last guy here. Yeah, I just wanted. I was looking at his like numbers here. Like, so he played sixty five regular season games in each season and <laughs> played nearly identical minutes. He took forty one free throws as a rookie and then only 18 free throws in this whole 65 games in the second season and he only made eight of those but eight that feels so low like I know obviously given who Matisse is he's not going to be a guy who draws a lot of free throws but 18 feels like just unbelievably low like yeah that that is what I mean you can accidentally walk into more free throws than that. Like only Poku's like not gonna yeah, at least early. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, did, I mean, did Joel now. have did you did Joel have a game with eighteen free throws this year? I want to say he did. Like, oh, I want to say definitely, he's definitely like a couple of those games against the Celtics in early January. I want to say, but but yeah, I mean his his career free throw rate is a eleven point six percent. That is quite quite low, uh, which means for every for every one uh, free shot he's taking, he's only taking point one. One six percent or point one one six free throws, uh, so yeah, very very low there. But yeah, I think that's a good point too. It just, I mean, just it's just a wild number. Yeah, he said, do you think he luck into more than eighteen free throws in a year? Uh, and obviously, he hasn't been good from the free throw line. His small opportunities through two seasons, but yes, Joel had four games with at least eighteen free throws this year. Um, two of those came against Boston, so uh, I'm going to give myself a win there from remembering correctly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, what? So, anything else you want to note about Matisse, or are you ready to kind of give him a grade on his sophomore season? Yeah, I'll I'll give Matisse grade, and like you were saying, like I think your point about him just kind of like if he can just be like a play finisher on the offensive end, that's really what they're asking him because of how he's like a basically a one through four position defender on defense. He's so versatile and so easy to slot in next to great players. If he like the great thing about Matisse being that kind of. It, I think really defensively scalable and then like offensively while well, he's like, he's, I think he's technically like scalable in that he's, since he's not requiring the, the ball, like to have the ball in his hands a lot, but like he still wanted to be like a little better. <laughs> like he makes it like, if he can just improve at some of those things we've talked about, he could be like a really great fourth or fifth option and a fourth or fifth best player in a good line, like good contending lineup. So yeah, I think for a season grade, I'm trying to think like, 
part of you wants to see part of me wants to skew it down because of like how because those fouls are just really hard to get out of your brain in games <laughs> five and seven because they were such detrimental plays but like you know there's a lot of plays every season and you can look through a hundred plays in each of games five and seven that probably have more just as much or more if not more impact than those ones do or like certain patterns that pop up so I think overall considering what I thought of Matisse I think I, I would be fine with anywhere for A minus to B plus. I'm leaning a little more towards A minus, but like right in that range. Yeah, for sure. I, I was going to go with an A minus. Um, and the point I want, did want to make about the offense is yes, his true shooting was three points lower this year. Um, it was about four points lower than league average. Uh, if we compare it year to year. So he was last year, he was 3.3 points um, below league average. Uh, or sorry, 2.6, my goodness, let me get this correct here. Um, he shot 50, he had a 53.9% true shooting last year, 50.8. Um, league average, his rookie season was, um, pulled us up quickly, was 50, uh, God, sorry, I'm still on, stuck on Joel's page. There we go. Okay, back to Matisse. Apologize for this uh, delay for anyone listening live or after the fact, but going to be uh, as accurate as possible here on this podcast. That's what the name of the game here. So, um he had a 53.9% true shooting as a rookie compared to league average of 56.5. This year it was 50.8 compared to league average 57.2. So it was about four points lower. But I did like the process more. Like I said, I liked that he was more decisive and I can close out, especially in the playoffs, like the cutting that I thought he showed. I thought he showed some of the cutting kind of in the bubble as well last year, but really kind of solidified at times this year. So despite the results being worse in terms of his scoring efficiency, I liked the process. So I'll go with an A-. minus. Um, was really, really awesome defensively. Um, just, just incredible, especially in the regular season. Needs to improve. You know, I think the playoffs struggles defensively at times were the only thing holding him back from me giving him an A. Um, because he was, he was a less impactful defender in the playoffs. Um, and the Sixers have he had huge goals this year, and by no means was Matisse the leading reason they didn't reach their goals. But um, just for him specifically, I think he's going to have to take the most up for it if he really wants to be that elite, elite class of perimeter defender. Um, because he wasn't quite there in the playoffs when he faced guys like Bradley Beal and, and Trey Young. And he's talked about the fact that he learned from them, but uh, learned from those experiences, excuse me, but uh, factor manager will have to kind of build from those. So that's how I view it. Anything mm-hmm. you want to maybe close with about Matisse before we shift to Tyrese Maxey, who I, I think will uh, really have some a lot of glowing praise to discuss with him. Yeah, so you talked about like his true shooting percentage and just like offensive numbers dipping a tiny bit. Like I looked back on like his rookie season. I don't know if you remember that stre- two-week stretch in December, he shot 14 of 23 from three. Yeah, he got so, up to like, a roaring start as a rookie from three. Yeah, so, yeah, that's back, like, that skews it up a lot where Matisse was, there was, like, a point where he's like, shooting 50% from three for the season, <laughs> and he was playing well on defense, and it's like, oh, my gosh, the Sixers have drafted the best three and D wing in the NBA already. Like, <laughs> but, um, no, which he obviously is not, but, uh, man, those were the days when Matisse was just knocking down every three left and right, like, you remember the five for eight Raptors game this rookie year? Mm-hmm. Yep. It just felt like everything he was shooting was going in. Because I do think, like, he has decent, like, touch. Like, that, that is something good. Like, it, it's very, like, hard to, like, reference or calculate or kind of, like, un- understand, like, on a particular level. But, like, I do think the way the ball rolls in for him sometimes, like, it just, it, it seems like the, he's not shooting, like, flaming bricks at the rim. Like, there are some times where, some guys will shoot and it slams so hard off the rim when they miss, you just get a little concerned. Like, they just don't have that touch. And I do think Matisse has some of that at least, which I think is, like, a positive indicator. But, yeah, still a really good second season for Matisse after, like, he started the season, like, after coming off a really poor performance in the bubble, like, out of the rotation almost. And people yeah, he dealt with an ankle injury, I believe, every, too. People wanting to throw him into every single trade, too, by the, like, the midseason deadline, like, they're willing to move Matisse probably for the right star, but it's also like people didn't want to part with Matisse anymore. We'd all grown to <laughs> love him so much because he's just, like you said, he, I think he might have had played the lowest minutes ever of anyone to ever make an all-defensive team, breaking DeJounte <laughs> Murray's record from two years ago. Like That's really Matisse, impressive. The, 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 the Washington Husky teammates love that. That's, I didn't know that. I didn't know that stuff. That's, that little tidbit. that's awesome. Yeah, I think um, DeJounte played 22 minutes per game in the season <laughs> he got. So I remember I was talking about it when, people were trying to use Matisse's minutes as an argument against him. And I was kind of mad about that. Cause I was like, <laughs> it's not like this is unprecedented is what I was saying. Yeah. I didn't know that stuff though. I didn't know that's, that's cool. That both second, both in their second year, both, uh, I think they were teammates for one season at, at, at UW. So yeah. Can uh, you cool. imagine being a PAC 12 guard that year trying to go against <laughs> them? Like, Holy crap, dude. Like you, you think you get past them for one sec and they just reach like their long arms around you and like swipe the ball away every time. 
Uh, yeah, unfortunately, they were not that good because uh, Lorenzo Romar was their coach, and Lorenzo was a, a great recruiter, but not much of a, a talent uh, maximizer. So, uh, anyhow, yes, but I do want to note that his first 30 games as a rookie shot 46.3% from three. Uh, since then, it has been quite uh, dismal, unfortunately. But, anyhow, let's shift to some more positive stuff uh, and not really put a damper on Matisse's wonderful second season. Um, let's talk about Tyrese Maxey. Um, I think we could we could spend a ton of time on this. I know. I think you and I have talked about him before on one of these rooms. We we, we um, did one pod which was not supposed to have Tyrese Maxey talking it, and we talked about him for about <laughs> minutes. He he has he had a way of forcing his way into the conversation uh, throughout this throughout the last couple months of the season. But um, you want to take the the reins on this one, or do you want to defer to me? I'm I'm happy to go either way. I mean, I can start it if you want, but like, yeah, yeah he, by all means, yeah, like. For anyone who watched Liberty Ballers draft live stream, we all lost our minds when Maxi <laughs> slid there. We, I thought he was probably a lottery talent. Most, a lot of people did, and he just kept mm-hmm. sliding and sliding. And the Sixers took him. And you know, as I was like saying at the beginning of the season, like when he wasn't getting some DMPs or like even though having his moments, like not really contributing to winning that much. I was saying like, you want to look through the list of like rookie si- around six foot one to six foot like sh- really short relative to the NBA point guards to not suck in their rookie season, you're looking at, like, Chris Paul and maybe you're done. It's, like, a very short list of guys at that kind of size to be able to adjust to the NBA right away and be really good. I would, yeah, I would say Trey on the second half of the year, he was, I yeah, mean, on the, he, was, was he struggled in the first half, but, but yeah, in the second Trae half of the year, he was quite good. Yeah, Trey on the second half was good, but, like, Trae, I mean, even a guy as great as we've seen Trey this year, like, Trey's first half of the season as a rookie was bad, and then he got a lot better. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we're missing a few guys here, but point being is it's really tough at that size as a rookie point guard to, to be a positive impact player. Um, that's not to disagree with you. I, just, I don't want anyone to listen to this and think we're uh, intentionally leaving anyone out. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree with your general sentiment, absolutely. And continue yeah. on with your uh, your effusive praise of Derek Max, which I'm sure is coming. Yeah, and then he just like, he started to figure some more things out. Like, it was so cool to see how many things developed. Like, the passing, I think the passing, like, while some of it I think we've talked about before is a little bit like... Um, not predetermined, but very much like, okay, I see player X go here, so that means this must be open, which is a good thing to understand. Like, he, when he knows when the skip pass is open, when a certain guy tags, but he's not, like, maybe processing things live, which is, like, an incredible skill to have. It's just, that's what speaks to his potential, that I think he might be able to do that in the future, really become that great of a passer. But, like, he showed flashes like that, or when teams were backing up on him a ton because he wasn't willing to shoot threes, he started kind of punishing them for that, not always making, but really willing to take it. We saw in that Hawks game six where he had his little three-point explosion, like basically the Hawks (laughs) kept going under, and he decided, okay, I'm going to take these. Like he was not afraid to shoot them. Um, I love that. It was the one that got waved off because they called a foul on the Hawks when they technically oh, yeah. that, that like seven minute review sequence yeah yeah where i love how after maxi made it he him and seth curry both pointed straight at each other which mm-hmm. i guess i don't know what to say like maybe like something about shooters mentality which good for them i mean both had really good seasons um and like defensively i mean everyone's talked about the quote where doc said he's probably our worst defensive player at some point in the season and then by the playoffs like not a perfect defender. I think he sometimes struggles with ball screens, knowing how to like, like as most rookies do, like knowing exactly mm-hmm. what to do on them. But you make up for, you have, you give yourself such a large margin of error when you're athletic, as athletic as he is. Like, I think they call the foul, but that one Lou Williams, like transition play where he'll like load up on two feet and he just bursts off the ground. Unlike any other player in the Sixers. Like, I mean, Matisse is light off his feet. Ben is obviously can really explode. Joel's a little different because Joel's a little heavier set, but, like, he's, like, a lot of just strength to bowl through people. Matisse, like, I think, I don't know exactly how to calculate it, but, like, Matisse, like, generates so much power, it feels like, when he jumps. Like, it's so explosive every time where you feel like the other team's like, whoa, like, I did not know this six one six two human can just get up like that. And it can really take them by surprise. And then just, he was, like, and he also talked about, like, playing with Matisse and watching Matisse play, learning how to get more deflections, cause more havoc on defense. He's just, he's a really talented guy with a lot of skills that are good for the modern NBA who showed improvement, like very tangible improvement throughout the year. And I think has a very bright future, which I think I was remember like, I'm pretty I'm like, uh, I can't say a hundred percent confident, but like very, very confident. He's going to definitely be a starting level player for most of his career. And I think like, fringe all-star is definitely in the cards 
Yeah, I think when people ask me before, and I, I was someone who I, I've loved Tyrese Maxey's game, like dating back to the first time I watched him probably in 2019, I want to say, when I was doing when I was doing kind of some high school and AAU stuff, uh, kind of scouting after the, you know, before the college season began and then and whatnot for that class. Um, I've really just liked his game. I had him in my second tier when I was still doing a lot of draft work last season. Um, I had him as seventh or eighth ranked guy. I don't know. I had a, I had a cluster of point guards, him, Cole Anthony, Kyra Lewis. Um, we're all kind of in the same range. But, yeah, I was just so flippant impressed with Tyrese Maxey's growth in year. Um, whether it was less reliance on the float or getting all the way to the rim, you know, improving his change of pace because he is a, a very, very quick and explosive athlete. And I think early in the year, he, you know, when he, when he first entered, when he first was in the rotation, like it was kind of a, a jolt of energy and teams didn't quite know how to, you know, defend him, but then they figured it out. And then he, he took some time away from the rotation uh, and came back and a much better change of pace with hesitations, things like, especially hesitation that he was great at kind of in, in the spring and beyond. Um, he got to the rim more, uh, showed some passing growth, like, he had this. He had this beautiful pass. Uh, it was the early in the second quarter. The it was like an early offense play. I think I want to say that they're double drag or just a high ball screen with him and Dwight Howard. Um, yeah, just a high ball screen. I'm watching it now here. He looks off uh, Daniel Gallinari, who's a little low man, the tagger. Um, Gallo kind of rotates back out to Tobias in the corner, and Maxi just throws an absolute bullet on the money to Dwight Howard for a dunk. And uh, I think the most shocking part might have been the fact that Dwight caught that pass. Um, <laughs> But that's not a pass that Tyrese Maxey is making early in the year. Like, he struggled a lot to kind of, especially as a driver, still has improved. This is like kind of blending, passing, and driving. Um, but that's just not a pass he's making. He showed manipulation and threw it right on, right on the money, basically, to Dwight Howard on the roll. Um, you know, the, the, defensively, you, you mentioned the improved. Like, I mean, obviously, Trae Young hit that incredible three late in the in the fourth quarter, I think, of or maybe through the fourth quarter of game six. But, like, he had to take that tough fadeaway three because Tyrese Maxey was all up in his grill. Um, he had some great defensive plays in the second half, uh, defending the pick and roll. I remember when you mentioned kind of when he was on that hot streak on the pull-up three, um, I think sandwiched in between the two pull-up threes, one of them didn't count, was a, I think he kind of either like stole the ball or stripped the ball from, from Lou Williams on drive. Yeah, so, I remember um, that. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he got a steal um, defending the pick and roll. Uh, and so just really impressed with, with the, the in-season growth and his mentality. Um, I mean, it just, and just the fact that like, Whenever he would have a big game, like or just a notable game, notable performance, and you know, someone, some, someone in the media would ask a veteran or whatever about Maxi. Like, usually the first words out of their mouth were like, "I love that dude," or like, "That dude's gonna be awesome." And like, and yes, a lot of times it happens with young guys, but like for that to be the first instinct for so many of these guys, I think speaks to the, the just the way he kind of endeared himself to the team. And so that that's a small part of it. Of course, you don't want to overstate these little intangible things, but I think that does matter to an extent. And so. Um, just so impressed with the the change of pace growth throughout the year, kind of weaponizing his burst better, getting to the rim more, using the floater as kind of a feat, a scoring feature rather than a a scoring, you know, what's I guess kind of his primary means of scoring inside the arc. Um, you know, getting more comfortable as a spot up shooter. I think you saw that. Like he still has room room to grow. Like I don't think he shot well from three uh, from three either in the playoffs or the regular season, but. Um, that's kind of a year two thing I think you want to see of more, but you saw more comfort from three, which is important too. Um, the defensive growth you mentioned, like, like I, I, there's not really enough things I could say about Maxi's growth. Like I, I had, I really liked him as prospect and I was still kind of blown away at the in-season growth, honestly. Um, just more than anything. And I think you know, he's got good touch. If we're going to talk about touch, like 87% from the line uh, in the regular season. 63% in the playoffs. Had some weird misses at times, but smaller sample. Um, 33% from three uh, in the playoffs there. But I expect him to be a guy who you're definitely going to have to respect, and then he'll be able to, to kind of blend that to open up driving lanes, and then he'll be awesome. And so um, the key for me that I want to see, one, obviously, is growth as a shooter from deep. Uh, and then two, even if I thought he made step, step took strides, made strides, my goodness, met, you know, took steps, made strides, whatever phrase you want to use there. Um as a passer, I think kind of a little better vision when he gets to the paint and kind of maybe decides to drive. I think at times he can be premeditated, which is it's just which is what happens to the young guys. But those are the two areas I really want to see improvement um, for him is, is better, just become a better shooter, which is just an obvious thing, but um, just more efficient and then a better passer when he is inside the arc when he is driving, uh, and then screen navigation, which I did think he got better at in, in the in in the season season, but still kind of room for improvement there because I do think he can be a pretty awesome 
and menacing point of attack defender to go along with his sound um, team defense. Like I did think he was a pretty good team defender this year. Like, yeah, there were times where he got duped by smart, smart creators, but for the most part, I was really impressed with his ability to execute team defense responsibilities as a rookie guard. So um, anything else you want to add before we maybe, you know, wrap up, you know, today's stream and podcast and give him a grade. Um, Yeah. So like, like I, I mentioned earlier, how much the Sixers need, like, some advantage creation from the perimeter like maxi is that sometimes because mm-hmm. he like he doesn't even need that much of an edge just because he has so many difficult finishes at the rim where he like can run foot defenders with his mm-hmm. like, he can move the ball in midair like just you know having that dexterity and hand-eye coordination to like avoid contests which you can clearly tell he's a guy who's understood he's not like the tallest on a basketball court on like a high level basketball court and he's developed like all these counters to kind of throw defenders off which is really cool to see um yeah like and the thing it's so cool because the thing you're talking about like becoming uh, like a really good th- or like a better three-point shooter or, like making those like more advanced passing reads and, like be- being less premeditated on the stuff like the stuff we're talking about is like developments that like really top level players still have to make sometimes which i think is showing just how good maxi is that like he's already like figured a lot of stuff out that it takes other guys longer to figure out like like you said with the defense or some of the passing or understanding like hey you probably can't rely on that floater for too long like you need to get to the rim sometimes or like how he was never getting the free throw line at all like at the start of the season and he started to get to there a little more as the season Mm -hmm. progressed kind of understanding that so yeah and like all this and you got all this with the fact that like maxi is what like i'm looking at now um he's about six months older than me Maybe a little less, but he's he's a young dude, so he's gonna be around for a long time. Um, my one probably big question would be like, say, say that Ben Simmons just whether trade or not, like, let's say Ben Simmons through a trade is not starting on the Sixers next year, and they have like, and they end up trading for some wing type player. I'm just trying to think because we want to see like if Maxi can be like a starter for the Sixers soon what you think about a Maxi and Seth Curry starting backcourt. It's just like, you're giving up a lot of size there. It's really hard to work with guys who are both at that time, like both six, two. And like you said, Maxi's a menacing point of attack defender. While I don't think Seth is the worst defender, as we saw, like you get a t- guy, a team of like the Hawks, with, like Kevin Herter as a wing option at six, eight, it can really just hurt to have that lack of height. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really think this is a hypothetical we have to worry about because I think any move the Sixers do make regarding Ben Simmons, um, will either be supplemented by acquiring a starting caliber guard who can kind of organize the offense or it will be for that type of guy, whether it's Malcolm Brogdon or CJ McCollum. So, um, it's, I, I'm not trying to duck around the answer, but I just don't worry about it because I don't think it's something we're really going to have to mm-hmm. kind of price into next year's evaluations of the team. So I get kind of the concern for sure. And yeah, it's, it's tough to start. Two guys are what six two basically between Seth Curry and Tyrese Maxey, but I don't think it's going to be a bridge they'll have to cross. Maybe you see some lineups of it at times because I because I do like I also like if you have the right defensive in- infrastructure around them, and even I think like I think Maxey will be a pretty solid defensive guard next year. Honestly, um, even if you're missing some size, I do think the six can kind of you know work around that. But that's how, kind of how I view it. But um, yeah, I think the foul drawing is a really good point to kind of add on there at the end. I'm trying to find the numbers here quickly, but. Um, from his in his first forty games, he had twenty eight free throws, um, and then in his last, let's see, he only here, he his, only played in sixty one during the regular season. I think so yeah. he had all those DNPs for a while. Yeah, in his last twenty one, he had forty two free throws. Um, so uh, four, uh, he had fourteen more free throws in like half the games. Um, pretty good, which is, just speaks to the fact that you know he's going to get better as a, as a free throw yeah. as a free throw guy. Yeah, uh, in yeah, the like, playoffs he the, had. Uh, I'm trying to figure out here quickly. I'll let you. Uh, yeah, in the playoffs, he had 22 there, like, free throws. So. Yeah, like just in that critical game six against the Hawks, he got to he get, took eight foul shots in that game. Getting like eight foul shots in a big game like that is important, no matter how you get them. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think four of them were late, like when they were playing the foul game, if I recall. But um, but yeah, still, but still, he definitely improved in kind of drawing contact. And maybe t- part of it too is you know. Like, I'm not going to be a ref guy or anything like that, but, I mean, refs do kind of make rookies earn things a little more. So, um, but, yeah, so I think he improved in a lot of ways. Um, for me, I will give – I'm going to give him an A. The only thing holding him back from an A-plus is that I thought the jumper would be a little better this year, just given the indicators we'd seen at lower levels. Um, I think it will get there for sure, um, but I will give him an A rather than an A-plus just because of that. But I, But that's – 
but that's me splitting hairs. Maybe that's me being too critical. Um, but he was absolutely fantastic this year, and I think there should be a lot of optimism regarding his future. Now, you don't want to be go too overboard. You don't want to place too much pressure on him in year two, but I think he's absolutely going to be a key player for the Sixers, um, whether it's maybe whether it's the fact that they can you know put him in a package to, to kind of really get that lead guard in the next next year or so, or if it's a guy, if he develops into one of their, their premier creators on the, on the perimeter there. Um, so I'll give him an A. Uh, and I, I can't say enough great things about Maxi and kind of how encouraged the fan base and organization should be uh, by his his year one performance. Yeah, I'd give Maxi an A too, just because like, I mean, like at some points it's very hard to give a guy like an A plus. You have to do so. <laughs> a plus basically almost means that I think you couldn't any other like improvements that were needed were almost outside of your control. And I like for the Sixers, I probably reserve that to Joel Embiid. Um, like you're saying, maybe just hoping the shot would be a little better. He was a little more willing to take it early on, but like mm-hmm. just a really great rookie season and a guy who I think if the Sixers like front office and brain trust is trying to establish who is our core going forward, like I mean, like it depends on how they want to use him in trade, but Maxi's definitely one of the guys that probably circle in like bright red is like important to their future either way. Yeah, I, I think if you're in terms of like guys like like the, the only guy that's you know untradeable to me is of course Joel Embiid, but the guys that like you should be pre-hesitant to, to trade unless it's for a, a significant significant improvement that really makes you an actual championship caliber team um like maxi and seth curry just because of how little money seth curry makes honestly how good he is are kind of i think two and three for me like i, I don't know maybe, maybe that's too rash but i think Ma- maxi is just such an important player i mean like no one guy saved the season of course but like but he was i mean the six just looks so flat and lethargic and just uninspired to open game six and Maxi comes in off the bench and it's just dynamite. Like, I mean, he just was awesome. There's he just, he just was so good. Um, and so uh, you, of course, yes, one game, one moment, you're not going to overemphasize, but that Matt, like that is encouraging. And that sort of thing matters. Like he just, he was always ready. And I don't think rookies are always that way. Like he was in and out of the rotation and he always was ready to attack the rim and at least kind of make something happen. Like sometimes he did Sometimes he missed a float or whatever, but maybe Dwight Howard cleaned it up and you know had to put back dunk or something like that or, or and things like that. And so, uh, just really, really impressed by him and, and what he showed this year and and just kind of the growth more than anything. So I think we're both in agreement that uh, give him an A. And I want to say this is the first A that has been given out among these ten report cards. So we're, um, are some we guys counting, are, some, we, are we counting the A minus we gave him a T? So like you're just saying strictly an A. I think I think for yeah, I'm just going A. Uh, okay. off the bat there. Uh, and I think might be one of the only ones that gets an A. Uh, maybe a couple more guys as we get, get more into the the, uh, the starters. But uh, but yeah, he, he was awesome. Uh, I really can't say great enough great things about, about Maxi's rookie year. Um, Daniel, this was awesome today. I uh, appreciate you hopping on. Hope for everyone listening, it was super insightful, um, whether you're listening on, in the room currently or you're listening after the fact on the, the podcast version. Um, the floor is yours. Again, give yourself a little plug. Where can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jackson. It was fun to talk more about the Sixers and these uh, guys off the bench who, like, you know, some mixed results from going through all of them, but, like, <laughs> generally are pretty enjoyable. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan underscore Olinger. Uh, I am, a, as I said, like a writer and podcaster for Liberty Ballers. Um, I host the Talking About Podcast with Sean Kenny that drops every Friday. We record an episode early this morning that will come out tomorrow talking about some NBA draft stuff, and we should have all have more NBA draft content up on Liberty Ballers soon, so if you're looking for that, that'll be great. And uh, I'm also the editor-in-chief at Inside and You, which is the SB Nation site for Northwestern Sports, the college I go to. Um, yeah, and just like so, I know there's not a huge cross-section between Northwestern and NBA. <laughs> it's an interesting domain I've picked, but um, yeah, you can find me there. And yeah, just thanks for having me on, Jackson. Yeah, of course. Uh, definitely read Dan's stuff over at Liberty Ballers. He's kind of going to be our lead guy this year in NBA draft stuff. Um, so follow his work there, follow him on Twitter, um, for everyone listening and in the podcast, uh, forum, please, please, please still review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you, uh, find your podcast. It means a ton to me, all of your support. Um, I'll be back on Saturday to do a little more of, uh, Sixers player reviews, player report cards, whatever you want to call this series. So, uh, until then stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I will talk to all of you again soon.